0: Blog Talk
1: Radio. Hello to everyone out there, and welcome to Hallway Conversations on Epilepsy.com. My name is Dr. Joe Servan, editor in chief of Epilepsy.com, and it is a pleasure to have you joining us today for Hallway Conversations, a podcast dedicated to what's going on in the world of epilepsy. Today is May seventeenth, two thousand and seventeen, and we are here to talk about a topic that, to be honest with you, uh, we don't like to always talk about uh, on this podcast or, for that matter, in general. And that's about death. We focus so much on uh, the aspects of quality of life, but the key to everything, of course, is making sure that we're still alive. One of the biggest concerns we always have in the world of epilepsy is, of course, that of sudden unexpected death in epilepsy. Recently, uh, guidelines were released by the American Academy of Neurology in collaboration with the American Epilepsy Society and, of course, supported uh, by the Epilepsy Foundation regarding SUDEP communication and prevention and what can we do about it. And to join us today is the lead author on those guidelines, a friend and a good colleague uh, to all of us in the epilepsy community, uh, Dr. Cynthia Harden. And Cynthia, it is such a pleasure to have you here today.
0: Thank you so much. Can you hear me?
1: Oh, we can hear you perfectly. Okay, good. Cynthia, why don't we just kind of get us uh, started off can you tell us about your current work in epilepsy your current role in the field uh just so that our listeners can get a good sense of of your perspective of where you're coming from
0: well i've had a long career um mainly dedicated to um, helping people with epilepsy and i like to think um i'm basically dedicated to stopping seizures um I uh, did many clinical trials of anti-seizure medicines. I've done some uh, research and tried to advance the field of treating women with epilepsy and hormonal influences on epilepsy. I've uh, worked uh, at several epilepsy centers as the director, and in that role um, have been able, I think, to... um, bring uh, minimally invasive surgical techniques to the patients in um, the communities where I work. And I think that's been a great advancement towards um, getting people to undergo epilepsy surgery when it's less invasive, less frightening, less traumatic. And so I think we've been able to move the field forward um, in that way um, in New York. So I've been basically Based in New York, I became Professor of Neurology at Weill Cornell in 2007, um, which I'm very proud of actually. Um, uh, And finally, your, your question about my role in the field. I have been fortunate enough to be involved with the Academy of Neurology and Development of Practice Guidelines. I've been doing this for about 13 years and the process has evolved greatly over that time. Um, I'm chair of the subcommittee of guidelines for the academy, Um, and so I've been able to be involved in many of the um, practice guidelines regarding epilepsy and a few outside of epilepsy as well. I was elected to be the chair of the epilepsy section uh, last year, so trying to steer um, the uh, I guess direction of the epilepsy section a little bit, but um, that's you know I've been just out there, Joe, as you know, trying to stop seizures.
1: No, no, clear, clearly from from all of that, and, and again, uh, you know, the, your work has been so important uh, to the whole community. Cynthia, on the topic uh, for today, is that a SUDEP? I I kind of uh, kind of try to uh, mention it in the prologue, but. Could you kind of expound a little bit for all our listeners and our viewers on the site, what is SUDEP, what does it stand for, and how common is it?
0: Okay, Um, SUDEP stands for Sudden Unexpected Death in Epilepsy. Um, It's characterized by being sudden, which means it occurs usually within minutes and often within minutes of a generalized tonic-clonic seizure, as far as we know. It's unexpected because um, the um, person who suffers from it is, has, usually has no other medical problems. So we we don't diagnose SUDEP in general in patients with a lot of um, cardiovascular problems or um, in, in patients where there's clearly other risks for sudden death. So um, often epilepsy patients are otherwise healthy, so to die suddenly um, is unusual. And uh, our our uh, guideline has pointed us towards generalized tonic-clonic seizures, and the death occurring um, within minutes after that as a um, strong association. How common is it? Well, yeah, um, we in the guideline process, which I'm sure you're, you know. Familiar with we look at all the available data um, some of it is very good quality and some of it is is less reliable for example, if you're looking at how common is sued up, what you want to um, see for a very reliable rate of how common it is is basically a population based um, cohort, so you want to get you want to see make sure all the patients with epilepsy are captured, and then all the deaths among patients with epilepsy are captured, and then clearly, as best we can, which of those were related to SUDEP or thought to be SUDEP. That is, were sudden, unexpected, not due to other causes. The um, clear uh, diagnosis of SUDEP is when there is an autopsy performed, but um, that is really rather uncommon to make a diagnosis um, that's uh, clear. So most of the SUDEPs are um, not are diagnoses made clinically without um, an autopsy to rule out other causes. So we weren't sure actually when we started this project whether there would be enough reliable information. There was actually a perception that there wouldn't be. Um, that, you know, why should we do a guideline on SUDEP? There's not enough information, but... When we looked at the data out there, especially incidents, there were a number of fairly um, high-quality studies that were population-based. The um, incidence of of epilepsy and deaths were captured more than 80% of the time. So we were able to um, get some reasonably good data for children and adults and overall, and some special populations like um, during pregnancy, and somewhat, during, uh, somewhat for patients who were medically refractory, the overall result for children was fairly um, fairly accurate or precise. Let's say the studies that we look at were had high agreement with each other, which right. um, which leads to uh, in, which leads to precise um, and hopefully accurate rates of suit up. And the rate is about. Uh, one in 4,500 children with SUDEP, or uh, with the epilepsy, per year. So, 4,500 children with epilepsy, about one per year will die from SUDEP. Wow. The rate wow. increases with adulthood. So, you get past age 18, it's increased to about one in 1,000, as best we can tell. However, if you look closely at the guidelines, the results for the older, the a population outside of pediatrics or children was a little bit less precise, a little bit more um, all over the place. So our confidence in that number is a little bit lower than it is for children. Um, so about one in a thousand uh, deaths per year for people with epilepsy throughout adulthood and uh, one in 4,500 for children. No, I'm sure you're thinking, why is that? Why did it go up? And I said, I yeah. don't think we know. I'm, I'm not sure it's physiological. It may be a matter of, you know, not having your mom tell you to take your meds and look at right. you carefully every day. So um, we look for, of course, physiologic factors why it would increase that. But I don't think we've ruled out also just behavioral and psychosocial.
1: Got it, uh, Cynthia. You know, w- one of the Question that that would come up is: uh, Are there problems in the current practice in, in either preventing and communicating about suit up in the United States? I guess another way of phrasing that question is: Why the guidelines now?
0: Why the guidelines? Are, well, honestly, it was it was um, a grassroots kind of call for more um more uh information more research more dissemination about SUDUp, and i mean grassroots from advocacy groups regarding SUDUp, um from families who had lost um lost uh, family members to SUDEP, so that was a big um impetus was uh, from the um advocacy and consumer community to just highlight it highlight the occurrence of SUDEP and um and get us to have a more, um, uh, I guess, a more more accurate conversation. It's, it's a difficult thing, as you know, Joe, to talk about death, as you said. But I think that uh, from my experience, doctors, healthcare providers, do not like to talk about things that they don't, that they're not well-informed about, but especially things that they can't do anything about. You know, we feel kind of, helpless or, you know, we can't comfort our patients. Um, At least that was the perception regarding CDAP. So I think that these guidelines go a long ways towards enabling that conversation because we're giving accurate numbers as best we can from the data, you know, um, to just let people know what is the risk. Um, And also we have formed actionable guidelines, which means we can tell people Um, from the evidence how to reduce the risk of suit up. So the the conversation, you know, in addition to discussing how frequent it is can also be followed with a discussion about how to reduce the risk of suit up if that's um, appropriate for
1: the patient. So uh, I guess I think well, was, why don't you tell us about the the new guidelines and, and the process that you guys use to create them?
0: Well, um I mentioned a little bit about the incidents, getting high quality studies that capture a population. Um, you know, and it basically starts also with the definition um that is um up captured according to an accurate definition. Um and so the incidence of SUDEP in children is actually um, determined to be rare, one in 4,500, but but infrequent in adults. So those are the um, those are the data that we found. So this is these recommendations are just basically you should um, counsel your patients that these are the rates. Now for the risk factors, we basically found that generalized tonic-clonic seizures the occurrence of them, and the frequency um, is associated with SUDEP. The more um, generalized tonic clinic seizures you have, the higher the risk of SUDEP. So this is the evidence. Now, we we were able to use that evidence according to the guideline process and turn that into a therapeutic recommendation. Since we know that the rate of SUDEP increases with generalized tonic clonic seizure occurrence and increases further with the higher number of seizures a patient has per year, the recommendation is to continue to try to reduce the number of and the occurrence of generalized tonic-clinic seizures through ongoing therapeutic interventions, medicines, um, surgical approaches. So... Um, we were able to take this risk and turn it around into a recommendation for how to manage the patient. So I think that's part of the beauty of the new AAN process where right. we we don't just say, okay, you know, this X gives you this risk. We're like, you know, this risk occurs and here's and here's how we can reduce it. Um and this is done through a complex process that involves um considering um uh relative- other illnesses for example um and uh the evidence for um a a process um that would lead to death for example and then finally, the recommendation is formed by a committee that um decides on the strength of the evidence. For example, one of the recommendations is to um, consider or uh, to, yeah, to consider having a nocturnal monitoring um, to reduce the risk of suit up. So this was the complicated one. You know, this is not something that we can tell people they should do all the time because it's not acceptable. But um, through a committee, we were able to nuance that and provide a suggestion that, when appropriate, nocturnal monitoring for generalized tonic-clonic seizures should be or may be
1: considered. Cynthia, as you kind of look at the totality of of, uh, of the guidelines as, as they've come out, what what is do you think that like the audience would like to know with regards what's new or different in these guidelines? I think you've answered a lot of pieces of that question, but you know, what what highlight would you want to make sure uh, people are going to kind of make sure that they take away in terms of newness or difference in these guidelines in terms of of where they go after they read it? Well,
0: that's an interesting question because I think that um there there is awareness of some of the risks for SUDEP, but uh what we were able to do in the in the guidelines is is to understand which of those factors are have carry more risk than others um and to focus on the risk factors that are modifiable you know there's a, there's a low level of evidence that male gender is associated with an increased risk of CDEP. That's obviously mm. not modifiable, right? Right. And, I, and it was a low level of evidence in any case. But some of the factors rose towards a stronger level of evidence. So I think um, what the, these guidelines did was to focus on the important factors, the most important factors um, regarding risks of CDEP and also the ones that we can do something about um so basically that is reducing the risk of generalized tonic-clonic seizures um right. and um and considering having nocturnal surveillance in some manner um now that's a, i think that's an interesting one joe because right. it we develop that through taking evidence from other um from some sources, such as, you know, what happens when people die in the epilepsy monitoring unit. So we know from that paper, the Mortimer's paper, that um, there's a cascade of respiratory depression followed by by um, by asystole. So um, taking um, a strong inference from that from that information, and with the with the finding that having somebody in the room with a patient who has nocturnal seizures reduces the risk of SUDEP, we can put that together as um, recommending that nocturnal surveillance in some manner will likely reduce the risk of SUDEP. So um, I, I hope you can see how we um, came to that conclusion and were no, able it to makes make sense. that recommendation. Yeah, I think so. Sense. I mean, I think, Yeah
1: do you think what what other kind of um uh, other pieces i i i think one of the things i know people who listen to this will ask is like uh, other than the nocturnal surveillance are there other things doctors and patients need to be doing in in, in prevention a uh, suit things you can well, take home with you
0: well i think one of the key um things is is the um, risk imparted by generalized tonic seizures. We really could not find um, clear-cut risk of SUDEP with with more minor seizure types.
1: Okay. So,
0: um, you know, are we don't say oh if you if you know the patient continues to have um, more minor seizures that that's okay. But I think it does provide um, I think that our message is really it's about these severe um, seizures that imparts the risk. So um, uh, I think the, the other message is to not have complacency when generalized right. chronic clinic seizures occur, even one per year, there's still a risk. So um, we advocate just continuing to try to reduce those seizures and um, encouraging compliance um, as well. I, I think, you know, some of the factors that people will be thinking about that didn't rise to the level of strong evidence, and therefore we didn't, weren't able to make a recommendation are things like intellectual disability, MRI yeah. abnormalities, other, you know, other comorbidities such as um, medical disease, for example, lung disease or alcoholism or even a specific anti-epileptic drug there were really, there really wasn't strong evidence for any of those. So okay. um, I think that might so be an important message as well.
1: So really, that if if anything, it's if nocturnal monitoring if uh, were available, and then laser focused uh, at least the big generalized seizures that needs to be as best stopped as much as one can.
0: That seems to be the message. That seems to be what the evidence shows, so you know, um this is a prospective process. We don't start out you know knowing the answer and trying to prove it. We yeah. start out with the question and seeing what the what the evidence shows so um you know i I think it was a an incredible experience. It took us seven years to do this. Wow, um, I hope wow. <laughs> yeah wow. Well, I you know. You know the process. Is not
1: <laughs> very fast.
0: <laughs> but um but you know, I I think we we made progress the whole time. It's not like we took a year off.
1: So we No, no, we no definitely... question. I, I took completely <laughs> really believe it. Cynthia, if people want to see the guidelines, our 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 listeners, our viewers on the site, are are they available publicly?
0: Yes. Well actually um uh AAN members, you can go onto the website and get them. But there's also a okay. very nice clinician summary just available if you just Google suit-up guidelines. And there's a really okay. nice summary available that um, may give you everything you need to know from these guidelines. Keep it in mind, though, that the guidelines do not give a script for what to mm-hmm. say to patients. You know, that's a that's another paper that somebody yeah. else has to write. Um, but we do we do inform people about we do inform you know clinicians about what they can say, and I'm really hoping that that this will enable the conversation because people will know what to say because they can provide you know exact or, or pretty exact you know rates and also some guidance on how to prevent or to nuance the risk. So that we don't avoid the conversation, and that patients feel informed. Patients, as you know, have stated that they feel that it is their right to know about all risks, including suvad. So I think we have an obligation to respond to that and not shrink from it.
1: Well, it makes which makes perfect sense, Cynthia. We're in our last moment uh, of our of our podcast here. What take-home message, and I think you've kind of provided some of it already, but what take-home message do you want to make sure that our listeners and website viewers walk away from from today's uh, discussion?
0: I think the take-home message is to work with the patients to reduce The occurrence of generalized tonic-clonic seizures, and um, and use these guidelines to enable that conversation because we have put forth a realistic picture of the risk and also some um, reassuring uh, approaches to mitigating that risk. So um, I would encourage people to you know look at the guidelines and and try to get in their head how they're going to use them to talk to patients because patients really want to know. And also continue your vigilance and surveillance and, and working closely with the patients and encouraging their compliance
1: to seizures. Well, that is, sounds like very, very important advice. And, and to everyone out there, we've been uh, talking with Dr. Cynthia Harden, Dr. Harden. Uh, is at the uh, Mount Sinai uh, Medical Center. She is uh, leads their epilepsy center there. In addition, she is the lead author on the recently released SUDEP guidelines, to Sun unexpected death and epilepsy guidelines and we are so delighted that uh, Cynthia that we, that we were able to take some time of your very busy morning to join us. I hope we can get you back here uh, on hallway conversations for other topics as well as as, uh, as the future holds.
0: Well, thank you so much, and thank you for this important work that you do to get the message out there about about helping people with epilepsy. It's great. Thank
1: you.: I appreciate it. Cynthia, thank you. And to everyone out there, this has been uh, the latest episode of Hallway Conversations. I hope you join us uh, either to download this one or any other previous one. And as always, I hope you look forward to joining us in future episodes of Hallway Conversations. Uh, my name is Dr. Joe Servin, editor-in-chief of Epilepsy.com. I've been uh, having the pleasure of talking to Dr. Cynthia Hardin today on SUDEP Guidelines. I hope you have a great rest of your day. We'll see you on a future episode. Thanks again.